Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to another episode of this Between the Lines podcast and today we will be going through a lot of big topics happening around in Europe and around the world. We will be taking a look at what's happened in the Champions League draw and how the round of 16 ties are placed. We will also go through the Copa America draws and see how the four groups are stacked up. But we will start with the bombshell news of the European Court of Justice giving the verdict in the favour of the European Super League and what it means to the world of football going forward. So the European Super League is back in town and it has generated quite the reaction yet again. It is back after two and a half years where you had a lot of uh, protests, a lot of reaction, a lot of angry reaction and clubs uh, one by one after around a day or two taking the names off the uh, booklet from the of the European Super League which was then only left with three clubs, Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid. At the end of uh, 2022, at the end of the Agnelli family era at uh, Juventus, even Juventus withdrew from the uh, European Super League plans and uh, it was left with just two primary uh, f- primary founding clubs, namely Barcelona and Real Madrid. Prominent amongst uh, those two clubs, Real Madrid, my club, my president, Mr. Florentino Perez, who's right now 76 years of age, and he still believes he still fights for what he believes in, and that's that's commendable. You would think that that's wrong, that is an immoral or something like that. I don't I don't care, but you know he feels that he's he's fighting for the right thing, and I and I'm absolutely love that from uh, Florentino Perez. But you know what? Just have a peek into the transfer market and do something to help your your manager Carlo Ancelotti because now Nacho has been suspended for three games and. Got to play Chouameni as your centre back, and that's 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 really dreadful, isn't it? But yeah, um, talking about the European Super League and this version of the European Super League, where there have been made some changes, some serious changes, which uh, yeah came after the ruling of the uh, European Court of Justice yesterday, and uh, you know the European Court of Justice has not given permission to Real Madrid or Barcelona or, for that matter, any club to make a independent league of their own is just a sort of... They've just said to UEFA that they cannot, they cannot really put anything or any obstacles or they cannot really stop any other club from making an independent league of their own. So that's a big step for this European Super League to come into existence. So now there is no obstacle. And now, right now, Real Madrid have published two or three videos on their Instagram or the Twitter accounts suggesting how they have helped the growth of football, not just in Spain, but mainly in Europe and all other countries. How the club back in the mid nine in the mid 20th century was uh, one of the founding members of the entire FIFA organization, this, that and the other, how it has grown up to be the biggest sporting body in the history of football. And yeah, it, it, reasonably so, they're giving their own reasons. Florentino Perez says that he wants to show UEFA what Real Madrid is and what we stand for. So yeah, there, there's a lot of things that, 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 that are being said. There are a lot of things that are being written about it, uh, Alexander Sheffrin comes around uh, around and says that, you know what, we need to, we need to stop this idea from uh, travelling around and stop clubs uh, to get, uh, to be a part of this and stuff like that, which I think he's, he's right in his own part, but it just feels a bit too, uh, it, it feels a bit too dragged on and then again, there are a lot of loopholes inserted into this into this entire situation as well with the likes of only Napoli, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Currently, only these three teams are the part of, are part of the Super League. So I don't know what's going to happen. There is there is a lot to look forward to in this entire procedure. And this is going to only swell up to become a big fight between the UEFA and the governing bodies in the European Super League. There are a few pros and there are a few cons of both the parties and we all know what the cons of uh, UEFA are with the monopoly and the the prize money, the money that has been has to be distributed among amongst a lot of clubs that are not be distributed properly. And there is there is a lot of things that you know UEFA has done financially 
has uh, has impacts on the cl- uh, on the club's well-being especially the the likes of uh, Inter and Barcelona and Manchester United not particularly Manchester United but if you look at clubs like Inter who Last year were the Champions League semi-finalists, uh, not Champions League, were the runners-up in the Champions League, and they still had to uh, have got no idea if the club will be in existence for the next season. It, the manager has got no idea if the club will be um, insolvent or not. So th- there is a lot of things that the UEFA has to take care, of, which they have somehow got not got a keen eye on, and there, there lies your there, there lies the problem of the entire governing body. So. As I said earlier, there has been given permission to clubs to make their own league. Not make their own league, but to to actually cultivate an idea of making an own league. But then again, there is another part of the problem here that uh, you've got your Spanish clubs and you've got one club from Italy. Okay, the big club from uh, from France, that is Paris Saint-Germain, not the big club according to history, but the big club currently in the entire of France is Paris Saint-Germain and their president, Nasser Al-Khalifi, is talking about morals all of a sudden and he is a big ally of uh, Alexander Sheferin and he they both have a very good relationship so it does not seem likely that uh, Paris Saint-Germain and uh, the the big crux of this entire French football na- notion is going to is is going to be allied with the European Super League and more so because the Ligue 1 or the or the French FA they do not allow clubs out clubs to participate in any other competition apart from the ones that are hosted by, by UEFA there's some sort of a rule that that does not allow them to do that so there there's a big obstacle there there's a big hindrance there the other thing is that the Premier League clubs, because of the Brexit, there are a lot of laws that prevent them from going to the European Super League. And also there are going to be laws that are going to be kept in place. I'm not so sure about the internal matters or the internal discussions between, let's say, for example, a Florentino Perez and a John W. Henry at Liverpool. So there is a lot of things that can take place in that sort of a, a, a that, that, that sort of an environment where, you know what, you say, as John W. Henry or anyone else, I mean, you, you could be Todd Bowley from Chelsea, and you would say, you know what, we will support the entire project, we will support your plans, we will support what you stand for, because we will benefit from it. But the thing is that we don't want to come out in the open and say that we support you. The thing is, we will do everything behind the scene to assist you on your entire project, but we don't want to get our hands dirty if this again crumbles down. So these are some things that I believe are in in place because Florentino Perez is not really someone who you can really fool out and he, and he's not going to make him a, a, a mockery of himself and the club by just risking it all this time again so there there is a lot of things that are yet to be opened up with this European Super League stuff and you know as much as we like to see the Champions League and the Europa League and the Conference League, not that I really follow the Conference League, but you know, when this entire thing, when this entire thing comes to a unison, there is a lot of things that can eventually go wrong. But for now, I think it's all all done at a very at a very significant pace to just ensure that everything. That everything falls gradually into its own place at uh, as as the time passes on. So, so the new format of the European Super League. Let's let's discuss that. And uh, the new format of the European Super League has got no um, sort of uh, what do you say? That there there is nothing for granted in many sense. And you know that there, there is a part of uh, a problem here that. It's going to be like a league system which allows there there will be promotion and relegation in this entire phase. And they've got three groups. There's a star league, which is the elite league. Then there is the middle ground of the gold league. And then there is the blue league. So it's, it's, it's not really the equivalent of the star league being equivalent to the Champions League, the gold league being equivalent to the Premier League. Uh, the, the Europa League and the Blue League being equal to the Conference League. It's not like that. The thing is that the Star League, there will be uh, 
league phase of a league of 14 teams where every single team will play seven league, seven teams in their own group and they will play home and away. So the fi- the team which finishes bottom of that group will be relegated to the goal league for the next season. Then again, if um, there will be the team which wins the goal league and probably the runners-up in that goal league as well, they will qualify as the two teams which will get promoted to the star league. And th- this is how the process will work. But the big thing here is that if... There is a club like Barcelona who do not who stink it up in uh, in one year. They are not playing well domestically. They're pl- playing well in in the Europe uh, in the European uh, what do you say in the in the Star League as they say. Uh, let's say for example they are they the tenth uh, or oh, not tenth but it cannot be tenth in this uh, in this entire Super League process. But let's see that they are. They're sixth in the league and they stink it up. They finished thirteenth or fourteenth in the La Liga, so that means, in spite of having a terrible season, on in ordinary circumstances, you will not have European football next season. But here, they will still have the Star League. They will still get the money and they will still get to buy the same players, or they will still have the leverage or the attraction or, yeah, the attraction or they will be still be an attractive side for any other player to go to in or because under normal circumstances you will have to reset again and play a season in Spain without European football that will not happen so this is sort of a sort of sort of a method to make the rich teams more richer and the poor teams poorer because if you look at it it i mean let's take an example of Girona although they did lose uh, did drop points at the Benito Villamarín yesterday against Real Betis, you would think that Girona might win La Liga. Say, for example, Real Madrid have another million injuries and they keep the first place, Girona, and Atletico Madrid and Barcelona not able to catch them. They keep the first place and they get to uh, uh, they become La Liga champions. Under normal circumstances, or under today's rule in the Champions League, the, this Girona side will then qualify straight into the Champions League, but this won't happen then. The Girona team will then have to qualify into the Blue League. The Blue League, in uh, in in what has been explained, will have thirty-two teams. Out of which sixteen teams will, uh, not sixteen teams, but out of which twenty teams will get relegated, and twenty new teams will appear again in that Blue League itself. But then the, uh, there will be the remaining ten teams, which will stay constant in that uh, in that Blue League itself. So. Say, for example, that Girona wins La Liga this season. They will not enter the Star League, which many people think is the equivalent of the Champions League. They will enter the Blue League. The next year, they will have to be, uh, first of all, uh, winning the Blue League. Then they will enter the Gold League. And the year after that, they will, if they win the Gold League, they will enter the Champions League. Or would you say the elite competition, which is the Star League in the European Super League. So there are a lot of things that needed to be understood but you know in this way you are no way helping a team which has which has caught fire which has caught form which is in a good moment say for example again an Aston Villa side who let's say if they win the Premier League they will not really enter the European Super League or the elite level of their competition they will go through the Blue League then the Gold League and then the Star League and that, that's how it is and even when they stink it up in the Star League they will have to be Amongst the two worst teams in that Star League to then move on to the Goal League. Again, they stink it up. They will have to be amongst the two worst teams of that Goal League to get into the Blue League. And then eventually they will get the uh, uh, the, the kick uh, on, on their backside after, to get out of the European competition. So that's, that's how this entire league has been designed. Personally, I do not subscribe to this idea. It's just a polished version of what it was before. Two and a half years ago, it's just been polished up, it's just been rephrased and it's just been uh, thrown in front of the people with a bit of, uh, with a, with a bit of spice around it, we'll say, with the, the, where the uh, things will be taken into account on the basis of footballing merit. It's not, je- it's not really merit, it is just the, it's just a way of, um, of, of ri- making the rich richer, that's, I mean, if you're Real Madrid, if you stink it up in La Liga, you won't really care because, I mean, people might say La Liga means a lot to us. We will win the La Liga. This, that. But no, if you ha- having games 
every single week if you have a game against Cadiz at the weekend and then in the midweek you're going to go back to the San Siro to play AC Milan. Then again you have a game against Las Palmas. Then at the next midweek you're going away to Borussia Dortmund. You're not going to play your best players in the league. You are how are going to preserve them for the Champions League or the European Super League. That's going to be detrimental to the progress or to the uh, the way the league's advertisement is going to be affected. There is going to be that case as well. So how is everyone going to mix it up? I have got no idea. Is the significance of the league going to decrease after this? Yes, I do. And that's the reason why teams like Athletic Bilbao and and Valencia and Sevilla and all these other teams, they've all opposed the idea of this of the entire Super League. There are clubs from Germany because of the 50 plus 1 rule, they, can, they cannot enter the Super League. So there is that from the German. I've already explained the French uh, League as well. I'm not so sure what's going to happen with the Portuguese League because I'm sure that clubs like Porto and Benfica and Sporting will want that cash influx in their clubs because they are very short on it. But the thing is that there, there is always going to be that sort of morality or that there's always going to be that sort of infringement of uh, of of financial regulations between their clubs as well so that's going to really hinder them i'm not uh, i've heard that uh, Feyenoord are not really keen on withdrawing or even in, uh, entering this race they are going to analyze every aspect of it and then make a decision i've got no idea what ajax thinks yet but in Spain itself, you've got Atletico Madrid, you've got Sevilla, you've got Valencia, who are historic, not really Atletico Madrid, but Sevilla and Valencia historically have been very significant in the Spanish uh, top flight division. So they have said no. And now the third big team right now currently in Spain is Atletico Madrid and they have said no as well. So Barcelona and Real Madrid being the two dominant forces who are driving this project of the Super League forward are itself from Spain and the third team is not really keen on getting into it. More because I think they are really into the good books of uh, Javier Tebas. So I don't know the real reasons why, but I think they will have their own reasons as to why they're not really entering this entire European Super League pleasure. If you're a fan, I don't know what the entire uh, mindset of, of, of a neutral fan is going to be, but... You know, it, it really raises a question as to how much of um, of, of immorality is is required to, to to push a football fan to its limits. Because this, in no ways, is going to be as 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 entertaining. Because you know what, if if you load your your head with a lot of dopamine, you you're not going to enjoy it once it becomes a regularity and i think that's what's going to happen in three or four years time after the super league projects runs out we're going to have a lot of football and we're going to watch a lot of football and personally i don't think we will enjoy it as we enjoy it right now because as much as you would like to you you would like to say a few things about the uefa and how the and how the entire body is being run there are things that are being are, are being acquired because of merit and this entire and this entire thing is really not giving them benefits around what the merit the of the meritocracy really defines and this I, I think this entire project is just to supply the cash influx to the bigger clubs because the participation of clubs in the in this league will only uh, benefit them because the money that will be generated by these by this league will be given to the entire team only, and it will not filter down into the lower leagues and the teams which finish lower in the table. For example, if you're if you, if you if a team like Barcelona or Real Madrid, let's say for example. Italian teams right now. You look at uh, Roma, who are right now in uh, the Europa League. They've qualified for the playoffs in the Europa League. You look at Inter and uh, and Lazio, who are representing um, Serie A in the Champions League. You've got Milan, who are representing uh, Italy in the um, in in the Europa League. They're also going to be in the playoffs. Uh, 
Who's the other team? I'm, I've lost count of uh, the four teams which were in the Champions League this year. Inter, Lazio, Milan and yeah, Napoli as well. They're all rep- rep- representing Italy in the Champions League. So there is a big possibility that they might get five places for next year's Champions League uh, for, for next year's Champions League qualification. So there is a big chance that the money that's been generated in these five clubs because of the Champions League will filter down to all the teams down below them and they will help them to generate a lot of money. There is a real research that's been done and that shows that the Serie A champions earn relatively less amount than the club that's been relegated in the Premier League. So that's one thing that really is detrimental to clubs outside of the Great Britain and that really is affecting the the, the, the financial boundaries as to what um, an Italian club can spend or a or, or a well-run Premier League club can spend. And at this point, a club like Aston Villa can, can afford more resources in their team and their club and their training facilities than a club like an AC Milan can. So you, you can just determine the parallels between these two teams where AC Milan a seven-time Champions League winner so is Aston Villa they've won the Champions League as well not the Champions League but when it was called the European Cup so they've won the the, both won European competitions but AC Milan's a more fabled club it's a more big club they've got a big fan base as compared to Aston Villa No, no disrespect to Aston Villa but you look at the amount of money that a club like AC Milan gets and a club like Aston Villa gets Given the performances that Aston Villa put and a club like Milan put over the last two or three years, you would say that Milan have had better performances. They went to the Champions League semi-final last year. The year before that, they won the Serie A title as well. So there is a big discrepancy between these two uh, footballing bodies. And there you need the European Super League to actually bridge the gap between all the big elite clubs in the Premier League or a well-run club in the Premier League as compared to a club which is earning significantly less but doing a lot more in the in say for example an Italian league or a French league or a German league or stuff like that but then again you know you've got UEFA who have their own corruption in the entire footballing world and that cannot be excused or that cannot be uh, that that cannot be you know sidelined and there is this European Super League which is not really basing their primary points on the basis of meritocracy or or on on the basis of merit. So whose side are you on is the big question right now. And for me, I still think there is a lot to, a, a lot of work, a lot of groundwork that needs to be done with this European Super League model. And for now, I do not really subscribe to this. As, as much as I hate to say this, I am with the side of UEFA, even being as a Real Madrid supporter, and and I, and I really love Florentino, Florentino Perez. He is probably one of the most significant members in the entire club's history. I mean, 100 years from now on, people will remember the great Florentino Perez and what he did for our incredible club. So, yeah, it, it, it is what it is right now. The entire footballing world has been taken aback by the verdict of the European Court of Justice and there will be there there will be a war there will be back and forth between a lot of clubs and for now there are big clubs like Manchester United like Bayern Munich Atletico Madrid Borussia Dortmund Paris Saint-Germain we've got Inter Milan I'm not yet heard anything from Juventus but yeah Inter Milan they've not they've said no clubs like uh, clubs outside of the big five, the clubs like FC Copenhagen, they've said no. Red Star Belgrade have said, I think they're in. Um, I think I think clubs like Red Star Belgrade and Anderlex are in uh, are in unison with the European Super League, just as Napoli are, who who are being run really well right now financially by Aurelio Di Laurentiis, but right now on the field they are being they've been, they've been really poor uh, this season. So. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of things that needs need to be studied. I've not done my homework completely as well, but you know, as as a fan, would I like to see Inter against Bayern Munich uh, every year? I would not. Uh, there there is 
a certain certain thing related to culture that that makes a that that makes these games what that what they are you don't get to see man city playing um uh, real madrid every single season it's been happening for the last three years but you won't get to see that next season or the season after that we not had we didn't get to see liverpool against bayern munich so th- there is a lot of significance up to these european ties which happen very less so that's what i believe in you know if if this keeps on happening every single week there is there is not going to be that significance there is not going to be that storyline behind it because you would think uh, i mean just look at the Liverpool versus Real Madrid rivalry and I'm not talking about the last time they were in the Champions League I was I'm talking about the Champions League final in 2021 is it or 22 and there was a storylines that uh, the last time Real Madrid were beaten in the Champions League final was by Liverpool and the last time that Liverpool were beaten in the Champions League final was against Real Madrid so there was a bit of a uh, historic uh, or, or a historic uh, what is your reference uh, to that sort of a game and these things really matter and i think a lot of things if you would think about the entire european super league are really immoral are really trying to benefit clubs which are in 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 complete uh, in uh, are in complete harmony with the governing bodies which will be the uh, founder clubs which uh, are going to be barcelona and real madrid at least for now, I, I I can see uh, Juventus coming in and saying that, you know, we want our part back as well. So I don't know what, what's going to happen. I think in the coming weeks, uh, in the coming months, we'll have more of a clarity. Uh, Florentino Perez is not going to sit idle. He's not going to sit with his hands tied and he's not going to listen to UEFA or anything else. Uh, for Barcelona, I, I don't think that, you know, Joan Laporta is really keen on this idea. But the thing is that he's been forced into this idea because of uh, the financial conditions that are really troubling Barcelona. I don't think Barcelona would ideally be in the Super League process if it was not for their financial conditions. But, you know, you can say the same thing for a club like Inter. You can say the same thing for a club like Man United. But there, with Man United, there is another uh, background to it because of uh, the club being in England, in the United Kingdom, and all the, the impositions that... The Brexit uh, has uh, has has done to the entire club. So I, I, I yeah, I do believe there is going to be this uh, this sort of a war between UEFA and all the clubs which are behind UEFA, not really behind UEFA, but against this idea of the Super Club and the founding members of the Super Club, especially with our president Florentino Perez. So let's briefly discuss the Copa America draws, which were done around two weeks ago. And uh, I forgot to make a podcast on that as well. But uh, yeah, no worries. We'll do a brief discussion of the Copa America draws, which will be taking place in the United States of America this summer. So we have got four teams out of which uh, there are all the 10 South American teams. And then there are the six teams which will be representing the uh, CONCACAF uh, uh, Federation. So... First of all, uh, let's take a look at all the four groups. And in Group 1, we've got uh, Argentina and we've got Chile, Peru. And there will be a plus in the month of March. Two playoffs, uh, majorly. The one between uh, Canada and Trinidad and Tobago. The winner of that match will be representing uh, the group, uh, which will be representing the fourth team in this group. And... uh, I don't know which team is that going to be, but uh, yeah, one of those two teams. Majorly, it's going to be Canada because of the team that they've got, because of the individuals that they've got to know. Prominently amongst those, we're going to be Alfonso Davies. There also is a very good midfielder in Stefan Eustachio, who plays for uh, for Porto. So yeah, it's a good team, of course, in Trinidad and Tobago as well. You could get a very physical side. There are Decent team made it to the World Cups back in 2006. Since then, they've not really had a major tournament success. Um, but yeah, this could be a very good opportunity, one-off game. Who knows what could happen? But this team looks very, this group looks very very good. Uh, Peru and uh, Argentina, in my opinion, might just be the teams to beat in this one. 
Of course, there is also Chile in there, and again, a very experienced side, but I think they're on the way down. Um, yeah, again, as I said, Peru is a very good side. I like the way the shape of the team is. Argentina, of course, might just be the end of the era in this entire uh, Argentina side with the likes of Otamendi and Angel Di Maria, Lionel Messi. All these other guys waving goodbyes to the national team after this tournament. So, yeah, for me right now, I think uh, Argentina will win the group and I'm and on second place. I think it's going to be one between Canada and Peru. I don't know, really. I, I, I'm, I'm backing Peru and uh, my boy Gianluca Lapadula, so... Who knows what can happen? I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my gut feeling. It's going to be Peru and Argentina to qualify for group. In Group B, we have got uh, Mexico, we've got Ecuador, we've got Venezuela, and uh, we've got uh, Jamaica. It's a very, it, it's, it's a very dangerous group for anyone. I think Ecuador, you might think, are the clear favourites or might be the best run country amongst these four alongside Jamaica, who are recently punching well above their weight. They've got good players, as I said before as well. We've got, not V, but they've got uh, Leon Bailey. They've got likes of Mikel Antonio in their team as well. So good, fundamentally strong side. Again, a physical side hailing from the Caribbean. So they are the only side who have guaranteed a place from the Caribbean. Maybe to, if Trinidad and Tobago win their game against Canada, they can be the second team representing the Caribbean islands. But for now, it's only Jamaica. Um, Ecuador, I think, are very, very good. They've got good players in their side. We've got Piero Incapi in there. Felix Torres, I think, is a very, very underrated player in that team. Uh, you've got the likes of uh, that uh, the in Pacho, who plays for Eintracht Frankfurt. I've, I've seen a very little of him. He's good as well. Uh, then there is... Uh, Oscar Zambrano, who plays for uh, uh, for El Quito from from Ecuador, then there is Candy Pais, who's been who's going to join Chelsea sooner uh, at, sooner next season. Uh, there is, of course, uh, you're going to be talking about uh, the star of that team, and that's going to be Moises Caicedo. And then there is the experience of Ener Valencia up top. So they're they're a good side in in, in general. They've got Mexico, who's again a very experienced side, but there are a lot of experience, there are a lot of tired legs in that side with the likes of Andres Guardado, and then there's Raul Jimenez, and then there is uh, uh, then, uh, then uh, Guillermo Ochoa. So there are, there are a lot of good players in that side, of course. We've got Santi Jimenez, who's of course going to be the main attraction for, for the Mexican national team in this, uh, in this entire competition. But let's see what happens. You know, it's going to be really interesting to. Watch out for this Mexican national team, Venezuela. They've recently have have had a good time. They've, they drew against Brazil. They're in uh, ahead of Brazil in the CONMEBOL uh, qualifiers. So that's that's going to be really important for them to carry that form into this uh, Copa America uh, tournament. And apart from uh, these three, you've got, as I said, Jamaica. They're well, very well punching over their weight. So I think this is one of the most interesting groups of this Copa America or maybe the most interesting group of this entire tournament. I think Ecuador will comfortably finish first and the second position I'm still going with Mexico because I think they will make this tournament a bit more interesting because of the experience head and I think that those guys would really be important for the success of this entire Mexican national team if they make it far into the knockouts. Uh, in Group C... We've got Bolivia, Panama, Uruguay, and the United States of America. So Bolivia and Panama, I've got no idea what they play and how they play. Uruguay are comfortably the most informed side that are going into this tournament. Under Marcelo Bielsa, they've found a new coach, a coach which understands the requirement, this entire personnel that Uruguay has. So the identity of this entire Uruguay national team meets the uh, identity of a coach like Marcelo Bielsa and because of that reason and that reason only I think you know Uruguay will be runaway favorites from this group uh, Greg Berhalter and United States of America it's been a very controversial story there are a lot of stories off the pitch then there are on the pitch so I think we can be up for a surprise here if a club like Bolivia or, uh, or, or Panama just just give it all against the United States of America they can be a 
there, there can be a possibility of them going into the next round. So, you know, everything's possible. So let's see what happens. But for now, I would say Uruguay runaway favorites together first. United States of America, still based on the players that they've got and the individual Britain, the individual quality and the experience of the World Cup, I say they will finish second, just based on that. Uh, the third group uh, will have the tournament favourites in Brazil, Colombia, Paraguay and another playoff winner, which that playoff will be played between Honduras and Costa Rica. Majorly, I would say Costa Rica will win this uh, group, will win this uh, game and qualify for the uh, for, for the Copa America but who knows what is in store in that playoffs as well again a one-off game nobody knows what could happen uh, as far as Brazil Paraguay and um, who's the other team Brazil Paraguay and Colombia go yeah I, I think you know as I said Brazil are the overwhelming favorites in this group and probably if they get a good manager instead of Fernando Diniz they might be the best team with the most stacked team of this entire tournament. So I would still say Brazil are overwhelming favourites. They need to sort a few things out. They've not really hit their hit their stride in the World Cup qualifiers. Currently in in Conmebol, they suffered defeat against Argentina. They suffered defeat against uh, Colombia just recently when Luis Diaz scored those two goals against them. So there is a lot of backstory to this Brazilian national team. In the recent past, they have not been good. There is a lot of cloud over the availability of Carlo Ancelotti being the next Brazilian coach. And if you ask me personally, as a Real Madrid fan, as a big lover of Carlo Ancelotti, and God knows that I want uh, I wanted him to stay the season. But you know what? After all that's happened this season at Real Madrid with the injuries and everything, even if he wins La Liga, it's... The best for him is to leave the club and say, you know what, I've done enough. I don't want this club anymore. I might just ride into the sunset after the 2026 World Cup. Leave me to manage Brazil. And yeah, he, that's that's me. You know, that that's Carlo Ancelotti for you. I think that should be the real scenario for Carlo Ancelotti. And he should leave Real Madrid at the end of the season. I would not have any problem, any problem whatsoever if uh, Carlo Ancelotti keeps on managing this Real Madrid side even next season as well. But for now, I think he should move away from Real Madrid at the end of his contract and go for another club, uh, go for Brazil uh, and manage it in the Copa America and be the manager until the 2026 World Cup. Uh, as, for the other as for the other two teams, there is Colombia, there is Paraguay. I think Colombia are a much better side or... They've got better individuals than the likes of Paraguay. I like the, I like the, uh, I like the uh, uh, team that Paraguay has. The likes of Julio Enciso. You know him. I, that I that I absolutely adore this guy. There is a Miguel Almiron there. There is a player like Diego Gomez, who's a very very good midfielder. He's a machine. He's a tank. Keeps on running the entire game. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Valbuena, who's got experience in the Premier League as well. So. These are a few players that you not, might want to keep a watch on if you're looking at Colombia. There's a bigger picture, there's a bigger um, bandwidth of players that you might know uh, from different leagues around in Europe. There is uh, the likes of Luis Muriel and Duan Zapata from the days at Atalanta. There is uh, the likes of James Rodriguez still playing for Colombia, right now currently plays in Brazil. There's Luis Diaz who probably is their marquee player right now. Then there is uh, the likes of... Uh, the other players that are also representing Colombia, uh, the likes of, uh, uh, I, I'm forgetting all the names, but yeah. There is Davinson Sanchez, David Ospina. You also have uh, Matheus Uribe, who used to play for Porto before. Uh, then there is uh, Jefferson Lerma. You've got uh, other players as well. So there are a lot of players that are in this Colombian national team who have got... Um, a history again with uh, European club competitions. It's Rafael Santos Porto who plays for Eintracht Frankfurt as well, a former Europa League winner. He's very young as well. So yeah, he he's again. You've got Jean Ariath, you've got Jefferson Lerma, as I said, Luis Nestera. All these other guys have got good crop of players who can put up a good fight. So yeah, um, I think that they're really really a good side and could post a big threat. But for now, I think. Brazil are the clear favourites and just after that I would go for Colombia but I think the game between Colombia and Paraguay is going to be very very important.
Well, the Champions League draw took place on Monday and we have got some really nice fixtures. The eight fixtures that will be taking place in February and March in the Champions League for the round of 16. And uh, there are some very good fixtures. They're not so... They're not so good fixtures as well, so we'll take a look at all these eight games and we'll try to do a brief preview, a very early preview of these eight games and where all these teams stand right now in the season. So I had made my dream draw, a draw that I would have liked to see a lot more, but alas, we've got a very different draw. I still have two games that I wanted from that dream draw, so... Uh, well, yeah, uh, one one of those games is Arsenal against Porto, and uh, that's the first game that I'm going to that I'm going to be talking about. Uh, Porto are not having the best of the seasons domestically. They have picked themselves up in the Champions League. Of course, they had a very easier group. They did qualify, although on the final day of uh, the group stage against Shakhtar Donetsk. But uh, I would say uh, they were the better side than Barcelona in those two games that they played against Barca. They did not win any of those two of course they should have won the first game at the dragao they took the lead at uh, the montjuic but they could not win there as well so yeah I, I, porto have had a very indifferent season but still i believe in sergio conceição that he will be the guy who uh, directs a change in that dressing room directs a change in the team the reports coming out from the dragao that um david carmo the Young defender at Porto, who was previously at Braga, really milked him a lot when he was at Braga. But he's been relegated to the Porto B team because of some inappropriate behaviour. That sort of a disciplinarian that Sergio Conceição is. He does not really like the kind of shenanigans that a lot of other coaches would put up to. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 going to be a fascinating tie for, e, for for Porto. The first leg will be at the Dragao, and the second leg they will have to travel to the Emirates. Arsenal, on the other hand, are one of the best teams right now in uh, in not just in England but also around in Europe. They're playing some really good football, some swashbuckling football as well. They play a a, a kind of a footballing style which I think to evaluate for Sergio Conceição would not be a problem. And of course, I think Arsenal will start as he not as heavy favourites, but I would say it is 60-40 in the favour of Arsenal. I would not really uh, uh, say that Porto are complete underdogs. I think they have got a fair amount of chance. Uh, for a team like Porto, generally, in in a, in a generally any team in a Champions League tie would like to play the second leg at home and play the first leg safe away from home. But for Porto, they're a side which are very, very physical. They're, they're, they're not really dominant. They've got good individuals like Vanderson Galeno. You've got Pepe from uh, the right. You've got uh, Tony Martinez, Ivan Nilsson. They've got Mehdi Teremi in there. They've got good midfielders as well, of course. Uh, it, there, there has been a significant lack of uh, investment in this squad. But, you know, the team is very strong. They're physical. They, they will give you a very good run for the for your money. So, I expect a good game. I still think Arsenal are favourites. But I won't be surprised if, if Porto nick out a result in the first game and play for a draw in the second at the Emirates. It's going to be... In, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting. I think, again, if you look at the one thing that separates these two sides is the quality of players. But then again, if the other aspect to a Champions League game which comes into play is the experience. And Porto are a much more experienced side than, than, than Arsenal. I think uh, guys like Sanusi, like Galeno, like Diego Costa, even though these guys are very young, not Sanusi uh, particularly, but Pepe or... Galeno or Diego Costa or even for that matter guys like uh, um, like David Carmo if he is off from his naughty step he, all these guys have got relatively more experience than guys like Havertz and I mean although Havertz has tasted success and also Jesus and uh, Zinchenko the, these are the only players who've got experience of playing a Champions League knockout game and I, I don't mean to say that they're not good players but the thing is that experience comes into play a lot more in these cup competitions uh, when you get to the nitty-gritties of it. And I think right now, the only thing that really keeps Porto in the hunt is the experience, is the know-how, is how you go through a, a tough fixture like this. I think I think they'll be well-equipped to do that. They, they did not, they're not having a good season domestically, as I said. Uh, they were spanked 2-0. I mean, that was a proper spanking by Ruben Amorim's sporting side. 
uh, on Sunday or was it Monday uh, against uh, uh, at, at the uh, at, at the Alvalade? They they had no answers for for the Sporting side who've been very dominant in the league. So I, th- I think it will be a very good fixture between Arsenal and Porto. Still think Arsenal will get a re- nick it off, but it's just very very early. So I would say sixty forty at Arsenal. Uh, the second game, as I th- as I said, uh, the most uh, the, the tie that I would be looking forward to is PSV Eindhoven against by uh, against Borussia Dortmund. Again, a very very interesting game. I think this will be uh, significantly important for Dortmund because I don't think Edin Terzic is having a good time right now. The draw against Mainz just uh, a day ago of this recording has been. Questioned again in Dortmund, they've not had a good season domestically. They're not in the top four race currently. They really fell off. Uh, right now, it, it looks very bleak for them, uh, of course. But uh, there's always hope. There, there is always hope with Borussia Dortmund. They've played really well in the group stages of the Champions League. So, we'll see. I, th- I think PSV Eindhoven have been very, very good. Peter Bosch has changed the uh, the perspective of a lot of people who looked at him as a abject failure at Borussia Dortmund and also uh, did not really play uh, play very well uh, for him at Tobias Leverkusen. So it's a big return for him at the Signal Iduna Park, so it'll be very good to see that. Um, I think the first game at the Philips Stadium uh, is going to be very interesting. I think it, it really is an interesting one. I, I believe this is going to be... One of those games where, again, you know, at Dortmund, it's going to be very feisty, very open. I won't be surprised if PSV Eindhoven go through. I really won't be surprised. But it's just something that says me that it's going to be, it's going to be Borussia Dortmund. So yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's kind of probably written in the stars. But again, the one thing that I did not understand: why were PSV Eindhoven not able, not eligible to draw us? I mean. It's, it's it's strange, isn't it? I, I'm not so sure why we were not able to be in that be in the be amongst the balls which were drawn for PSV Eindhoven. Strange, really, really strange. Uh, by the way, the third game that I'm going to talk about is one of the most interesting games of this Champions League, and it is Paris Saint Germain against uh, uh, La Real Sociedad, and this is going to be this is going to be the the tie of this entire Champions League, and. Right now, we're looking at it from... We're forecasting two months uh, after this, but if this tie was to play this week and next week, I would say Real Sociedad win it. It It is that kind of uh, a fixture because I don't think Real Sociedad buckled down against this Paris Saint-Germain side. And again, the second leg this time is going to be at, uh, uh, at San Sebastián in Spain. So it, it really is going to be interesting. The... The, the big question as to the availability uh, of uh, Takefusa Kubo is going to be paramount for Real Sociedad because if Japan go to the finals of the uh, Asian Championship, it is going to be very difficult for, for, for Real Sociedad to get him back for the first leg in Paris. But he will definitely be for the second leg in, in Spain. So it'll be, it, it'll be interesting. I think they played a very... A very, a very, a relatively a tougher group as well. You know, they played Benfica, they played Inter, they played Salzburg, are a very good side as well. So it's 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 a good side. They're they're sixth in the league. I know that, and it it does not give you a proper reflection of what this side is and how far they've come under Emmanuel Alguacil. I think they will again get a top four finish in in Spain. I really believe that. Um, I think Paris Saint Germain. They've been very very poor. They've, again, they've won against Mets the other night. In Ligan and stuff like that, but it's, they've been poor. It's a midfield of Vorenzar Emery and Manuel Ugarte and Vitinha. The most experienced of them lot is Vitinha, who's playing his second season in the Champions League. Something says to me, or not second, but I think third season in the Champions League, is it? He played one with Porto and now, yeah, it's, it's his third season in the Champions League. So it, it, something says to me that this is really not good with uh, the amount of games that uh, teams like Port, uh, the, with, with teams like Paris Saint-Germain will have to go through to uh, go deep into the tournament with this kind of a midfield it just does not look right and again if anything was to go by after watching those games against Newcastle and Milan and Dortmund 
it really is not a very good Paris Saint-Germain side. I mean, they are set up to fail in this competition very much with the likes of Dembélé and Colomani being so wasteful in the final third and also Bradley Barcola. It really sets up for another carry job for Kylian Mbappe. As much as I don't like Kylian Mbappe, it, it is kind of a carry job that he does. So, well, I, I, I think it is... This, with the second leg being in Spain, I think it's 55-45 to Paris Saint-Germain just because of the experience in the league, uh, in, in the Champions League in terms of form. I think Real Sociedad will eat them alive. So, yeah, I, I think it will be a fascinating, fascinating tie. It's, the, it's, 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 it's a game which I'm really looking forward to. The fourth one is uh, the Diego Simeone derby between Inter and Atletico. The second leg of this one being at the Vanda Metropolitano. And uh, yeah, it's again. This is probably the most even tie of all the uh, of all the other eight of all the other seven fixtures amongst all the other eight fixtures. Um, I think this and Borussia Napoli, of course. But uh, yeah, I think uh, this one is generally set up to be a very much a a, a cracker one. Uh, in an ideal world, I would have liked both these teams, Inter and of course also Atletico, to to go into the to go into the quarterfinals and 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 be in two different ties, I, th- I think that would have been incredible because I think there is a need for a team like Inter to represent Italy because the other teams have been just been a mere disappointment. As far as Atletico Madrid, I just like to watch Atletico Madrid in Champions Leagues. That that that's who they are. They they will give you a proper snooze fest and uh, you know try and hit other teams out of the counter. There will be fights. There will be. Uh, there will be deep defending. There will be shithousery from the from every single player at Atletico Madrid. And I just w- like to watch that for a change in the Champions League. I don't like that to watch in. Uh, I, I don't like to watch that in the league. But yeah, in the Champions League, what the hell? And just for that reason, I would like to see Atletico Madrid just nick it off. I know Inter uh, are the defending champions in not the defending champions, but the runners up of the last uh, year's Champions League. But this could really be a, a a tricky one for them. Early on, again, the experience, I think it cancels each other's out. I think Inter will be the most dominant side in this, uh, in, in this tie, but who knows what could happen. The second leg being in Madrid at the, uh, at the Metropolitano. I, I, I really struggle to find a winner here. I, I think it will be down to what happens at the first leg in San Siro. I think Atletico will do enough in the second leg to go through. I think it's... If you look at it on form, I think it's just 55-45 again in the favour of Inter. But it would back Atletico to go through in the second leg uh, at the Civitas Metropolitana to the Champions League quarterfinal. So, yeah, it is what it is. It, again, you know, Diego Simeone going back to Inter at the, at, at the Estadio Giuseppe Meazza. So... It will be interesting. It really will be interesting, this one. It's a very even tie, as I said. The next one is uh, Real Madrid against Leipzig. This one, not really straightforward. I think for Spain, for, the, for, for Spanish teams, it's a very, there are a lot of intriguing ties. Real Sociedad against um, Paris Saint-Germain. They've got Barca against Napoli. They've got Atletico against Inter. And then this one, Real Madrid against Leipzig. I think the most straightforward one of them all is this one, Real Madrid against Leipzig. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very much confident in Real Madrid. The one big worry that I have is the centre back issue. And in the next time I'm doing a podcast, I better be having a centre back at Real Madrid because if not, then we're just not taking Carlo Ancelotti in this season seriously. It really is a, it really be a big failure to not back Carlo Ancelotti in this window. I would like to have someone like an Antonio Silva, who's been appreciated in the Real Madrid ranks right now. I would like to see him at Madrid, but who knows what was, what's going to happen. I'm, I'm not really banking it on anyone. Rafa Marin has, has been confirmed that he will be staying at Alaves, whom we will be facing uh, at the night of the recording. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Real Madrid needs to get the rack together in terms of getting a centre-back in the squad. Uh, the injury to Alaves is just unfortunate. Um, it's. Um, I, I would still think, yeah, RB, Le- RB Leipzig are a very nice, a very nice team. I like the way they, uh, they play and everything about their team. I would 
kind of like to see a lot more minutes of Benjamin Sesco and um, and, and Lois Opendo has been tremendous uh, this season so far. So I'd like to see both those guys play together for a bit. Um, I think they've been very good. Again, experience-wise, I think Real Madrid, you cannot catch the hand of Real Madrid. But, of course, I think uh, RB Leipzig will put up a fight, but I don't think that will be... Um, it, I, I, I don't think that will be just enough to get through this uh, to this Real Madrid side. And I think they will eventually come out as very comfortable winners in this group. But the next game which I'm going to talk about is Napoli against uh, Barcelona. This is, again, not the best ties that, that we, you would get as a Barcelona fan. I think if you're a Napoli, you would take it the way the season's going. I, I think you just hope that it ends very soon. There, there has been a lot of question marks. Like even under Rudy Garcia, there were a lot of question marks. Even now, under uh, Walter Metrazzi, the question marks seem to have uh, swollen up. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think there is there is a lot of room for improvement here at both the clubs. If we just look, look the game which uh, Barcelona played against Almeria, you would say there is a lot of flaws in that team. And if you look at the game that uh, Napoli played against Frosinone, I think the first 55-60 minutes were just amazing from Napoli, but they did not score goals in that in that game. But then again, when Frosinone scored, they kept on scoring, they kept on running in behind Napoli's defence, and they put four past them in, in about a half an hour's time. So, you know, this is, uh, this is what Napoli are right now. They're not really a perfect side. Again, I would like to see a lot more of Vittorio Simen, a lot more of... Uh, Kvaratskhelia being a bit more con- consistent, but um, well, it's it's it really is, um, it really is going to be a very ugly fixture in my opinion. It, it, it is really not one that I'm looking forward to. I still think Barcelona will nick it off, um, just enough in the second leg at the Montjuic. But if you're on Napoli, if you're Kvaratskhelia and Osimhen, this is the game that you need to prove to the world that you're not a one-season wonder. I mean, not really Osimhen because Osimhen's been performing pretty consistently. He's having a good. He had a good season last time around. The best of them was last season. He's been riddled with injuries right now. But this for 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 those two players, these two games against Barcelona are your are, are your chance to show to the world. I mean, of course, Kvaratskhelia has got the European qualifiers as well, the playoffs. Uh, I would I should say against Kazakhstan and if if he wins against Greece to show um, to the world that. He belongs to this stage. These two games against Barcelona are are going to be very, very important for for Quaratskele and for and for Osim. And Quaratskele, of course, a, a proper uh, Real Madrid fan from the beginning. So, how what good to do to your to your fans? I mean, give them a few good moments by dumping Barcelona out if you've got in yourself. I mean, of course, he's going to have Joao Cancelo on that side of the defence to, to patrol his area. So it will be very easy for him if you look it on paper. But game's not won and lost on paper. And I believe Barcelona will just nick it off in the end. And they will be the most improved side. The, the most improved side amongst these two teams when they meet off in March for the second leg. And then I move on to talk about uh, another fixture. This one, again, very much one-sided. Bayern against Lazio. I don't think uh, Lazio will have Mauricio Sarri when the time comes for this uh, Champions League fixture, they've been the eleventh in the league. I don't know how they managed to go past Feyenoord in that one game where they played in the Olympico. But yeah, it is what it is. Um, I would have liked to see Feyenoord in the Champions League uh, knockouts, but instead it is uh, it is Lazio. I think Bayern will Bayern will just be too strong for Lazio, and they will get this one quickly out of the way in the first leg itself in Rome. Um, the last one that I'm going to be talking about is Manchester City against FC Copenhagen. The one thing that I would like to point out, the last seven, uh, since Pep Guardiola has been the manager of Manchester City, the round of 16 opponents of Manchester City are as follows. Monaco, where they fucked up, they fucked up big time against Monaco, and it, it was a good side, but yeah, not that great. The next year they had FC Basel, yeah, I repeat it again. FC Basel. They had FC Basel to play in the Champions League round of 16. And then they had then they had Schalke. 
of course, Schalke, who are now in the second division of German top flight. Back then, there was a, it, it was a good team. Um, after that year, they had Real Madrid, if I'm not wrong. Okay, a good team. But then again, they faced Lyon in the quarterfinals, where they again fucked up. Um, then you've they, they had who? Mönchengladbach in the round of 16. They had Sporting. They had... RB Leipzig, and now they're having FC Copenhagen. I don't know if this is the luck of the draw or anything else, but they are really getting away with it, and you have to really question what sort of luck they are riding on. Really, I mean, if the, is there anything that we don't know about this team? I'm, I'm, I'm happy for FC Copenhagen. They're going to play Man City home in a way. It's not like they're not played Man City home in a way. They played Man City home in a way last year in the Champions League itself. In the group stage, that was. But this is a knockout one. I think Man City are too strong for FC Copenhagen. Maybe it's going to be a different atmosphere, very hostile. And, and I know that it will be very hostile at the Park and Arena. They're a very interesting side. I would, have, I would have liked to have Copenhagen ahead of Galatasaray. I think Galatasaray would have been absolutely smoked from Man City if they would have played them. But I think Copenhagen will just be, enough to, just be good enough to put up a fight. Uh, at the Park and Arena. I don't, I don't really fancy them at the Etihad, but yeah, at the Park and Arena. You never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, that's about it from this Champions League uh, group stage analysis. Uh, be sure to check into my Instagram and my Twitter account. Uh, it is weeklypod underscore OTT on Twitter and weeklypod.ott on Instagram. I'll be there to uh, guide you through some of the fixtures that I will be watching. Until then, Stay safe, stay healthy. This is your host, Mayurish Matka. Thank you very much. Cheerio.